0: Uh, Good morning again, Lake Shore. It is great to see all of you here today. We welcome our Smyrna campus. So glad you're with us. Everybody joining us online. It's great to have you with us as well. Uh, We are in a series called I Love My Church, and we've looked at several different things already. The first week we talked about reasons why we love this church. There's so many good reasons to love Lakeshore Christian Church, so many good things that God is doing here in this place, and so many great friendships and and times of serving and impact that we're making in the world. It's a wonderful church family. And we talked about how we can show that love in different ways. And one way is through community, where we commit to each other, we serve together, we, we uh, worship together, we, we do life together and encourage one another, how important it is for us to do that together. And we talked about how we need to, to show that love through serving and, and uh, using our gifts and our abilities. And today we're going to be talking about love in a different way, love in giving to the church. There was a pastor who said to one of his members, who was a poor farmer, he said, if you had a horse, would you give it to the Lord? And the farmer said, sure, of course I would. He said, well, if you had a cow. He said, yes, no doubt about it, I I would give the cow. A goat? He said, yeah, I'd give a goat. He said, a pig? He said, now, pastor, that's not fair. You know I have a pig. (laughs) You see, a lot of our attitude toward giving to the church is this idea. If I had this, I would give it. If I had that, if I won the lottery, we we all have these plans, don't we, of how generous we would be if we won the lottery, all the good stuff we would do with the money. But that's not the question. That's not the love God's looking for. It's not loving the church when you say, I would give if... I had this or that or won the lottery or whatever. The way you show love for the church was with what you do with what you have now. What you already have in your possession. What you already are entrusted with by God to manage for Him. Are you showing love to the church with what you have now? Because it's easy to talk about loving the church. As long as we can keep it as a kind of a a theory kind of thing. As long as we can keep it not specific. As long as we can keep it not too personal. Of how we are expected to express it. But it's different when we have to think about personally, intimately. With who I am and what I have. How am I loving this church? How am I showing, not just saying, that I love this church? The good news is there are many of you who understand that connection. And you've been giving and supporting. Some of you for many, many years. And it's enabled this church to impact the world in so many powerful ways. We couldn't do what we do as a church without Members who love it and support it financially, as well as with time and energy and res- other resources that you have. But it does require the financial contributions of those who say they love the church for us to do the work of the ministry of the church. There's no other way for it to happen. And so today we're going to focus on some steps we could take to help us love the church better through our giving. Because the more of us doing this, the more of us who commit to this, the more able the church will be to do the good work that God prepared in advance for us to get done as a church. So, four steps we're going to look at today. The first one is release your grip. Release your grip. When I was thinking of examples of this to teach from in Scripture, I I immediately again thought of the early church. Uh, From the very beginning, When the church was first established, we have a record of it in the book of Acts in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, especially in chapter 2, we read where these first Christians came repenting of their sins and they were baptized into Christ and they were added to the church. And then they started living a different way, a different lifestyle, with different priorities, with different commitments, with different ways of doing things. Jesus changed them dramatically. When they came to know him as Lord and Savior. And one area they were changed in was how they managed their resources. It changed completely on what the priorities were going to be from that time forward. Were the resources that they had. In Acts 2.42, remember that list? This is right after 3,000. The first church, uh, first people responded to the gospel. 3,000 were baptized that day and added to their number. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And we read through those four things and we say, those sound nice. Especially that word fellowship. We have taken that word fellowship in the church And we've taken just a part of it and decided that's what fellowship is. See, fellowship for the church today, how many of you have attended fellowship meals at churches? Yeah, a lot of you have, right? That's what we call them. And churches sometimes have a part of their building. They call it the fellowship hall, right? That's where fellowship takes place. And what do they mean? That's where they have their meals. That's the fellowship of the church. And usually a fellowship meal is potluck. Everybody brings something, and you all share it together around tables. And, and uh, I, I've got to tell you this honestly. I've always had problems with fellowship meals. It's always been a struggle for me because I want to know who cooked it. And sometimes there's no name on the plate, on the, on the dish, right? I don't know who did that. And, and I'm not sure I want to put that on my plate if I don't know who cooked it. But, but, but here's the thing. If that's all you think of when you see the word fellowship, you missed it. That was not the fellowship of the early church. That wasn't all there was to the fellowship of the early church. Yes, they ate together. They did it in each other's homes. But at the, word, at the root of the word fellowship, the word that is translated fellowship there means to share what you have with others. That's what fellowship means. To share what you have, not what you want to have, not what you might win in the lottery, but what you have right now, sharing it with others. And they did that through the church. They didn't go off on their own doing this. See, that's what a lot of people do. Because if you do it on your own, separate from the church, who gets the credit? You do. But this fellowship was done within the church. Where members who made up the church, remember the church is not the building, it's not the institution, it's the what? It's the people, it's you and me. People like you and me who belong to the church from what they had, they gave and shared it with the others. So that the needs of the church were met. That's what the word fellowship means. And these first Christians understood the concept of God giving them what they had and them being stewards of it who were responsible for how it was used. And they understood God's expectation was if you love the church, what are you going to be willing to do with what you have? Share it, share it with the others. It didn't matter how much, that wasn't the point. It was whatever you had. You were willing to share it with the others. Fellowship isn't determined by only rich people can do this. Or only poor people are really good at this. Or only the middle class. No, it was everybody with whatever they had, they were willing to share it with the others. In the early church, this was even more important. Here's why. Because when they came to follow Christ, these were mostly Jews. These 3,000 that were added that day, almost exclusively, probably exclusively all Jews that day, who converted from Judaism to Christianity. Now, when they took that step, it cost them a lot to take that step. Many of them would immediately be cut off from their families because they left Judaism. Some families even held funerals for the people who left the faith and went off to be Christians, as if they were dead to them now. Some of them were employed by Jews who would fire them when they left the faith and they lost their jobs when they converted to Christianity. You see, they paid a huge price to take this step of deciding to follow Jesus. But they were still devoted to what? Fellowship. Sharing what they had with each other. Most of us have paid very little price to come to Christ and be part of His church. It was a free will decision we made. Didn't have any negative consequences connected to it. We, we can choose to be here when we want to be here. Not be here if we don't want to be. Nobody's going to be cutting us off from our families because of this. In most cases, it's it's not It's not a huge sacrifice in those ways for us to decide to follow Jesus in our culture and be part of this church. And yet, for a lot of us, we still don't understand that we're supposed to be devoted to fellowship when we come to be part of the church, devoted to sharing what we have for the good of the whole. And we're still struggling with that idea that, you know, I hear churches being criticized all the time. All they want is money at that church. All all the church wants is your money. Now, first of all, nothing could be further from the truth at Lakeshore. It's not all about you and your money. If it was, we would be a lot more high pressure with this. We would be twisting arms and, and hounding you and sending people out to collect your tithes and offerings, right? If that's what it was really about. What it's really about is getting you to understand what it means to be part of the fellowship what it means to really love Jesus and His church. That's what it's really all about. Jesus wants you to love this church. And if you really love this church, it means you will be devoted to certain things that Christians are supposed to be devoted to. And one of those things is the fellowship. A little later on in Acts, in chapter 4, it's still talking about those early Christians. And in verse 34 and 35, it says this. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. See, this church is just getting started, and Christians are having to sacrifice, and they're suffering, and they all pitched in together and did everything they could to take care of the needs of the church, of the church family. And they didn't do it individually. What did they do when they uh, and when it sold houses and land? It doesn't mean the ones they lived in necessarily. May, they may have owned some other property and they sold that and they brought the money. It doesn't mean they didn't have houses anymore. But they were making sacrifices. They were They were using what they had to generate income so that they could give it and they didn't do it themselves. Individually, they brought it to the apostles' feet. You see, at that time, they didn't have the individual congregations set up with elders yet to oversee the church. It was the apostles leading the church. So where did they bring the money? To the apostles so that they were the leaders at the time so they could distribute it and use it the way it needed to be used. You see, they understood the concept of bringing it together and then dispersing it in the way that it needed to be used so that it is God's church that's meeting the needs, not individuals getting the praise and the credit for it. Who gets the credit for it then? God does. It's His church. It's in the name of Jesus that these things are being done, that the good work is being accomplished. Not in your name personally, not in my name personally, but in the name of Jesus people are being helped. Ministry is taking place. It's not about a personal getting credit and praise. It's about an act of love and love doesn't worry about getting the credit love does it because you choose to do it because you love you love people you love the lost you love the church family and you want to make the difference in the world that God wants the church to make you want to be part of that so so the first thing we need to understand is is we need to release release our grip we need to to understand that part of what Christians are supposed to be devoted to is fellowship and that word fellowship means You using what you have, giving and sharing what you have for the common good of the whole. So it's done through the church family, the good work that's being done in the name of Jesus. The second thing we need to learn to do, and this is tough for us all, is tighten your belt. Tighten your belt. Oh, preacher, you're done going to meddling now. Remember what it said in Acts 2.45, what some of these people were doing? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were tightening their belts to respond to taking care of the needs of the church family. Nobody forced them to do this, by the way. Some people misunderstand Christianity and they talk about it like it's socialism, like Jesus promoted socialism. He did not. This is not where there's a government organization that's forcing you to give stuff you don't want to give and share with everybody and and they're equally distributing all the money. That's not what the church was doing. That's not what Christianity is all about. This is people choosing out of love to help other people through the church. It's a personal choice. They weren't forced to do this. The government wasn't extracting this from them. The church leaders weren't extracting this from them. They were choosing, out of love, to give to make the impact that God wanted the church to make. And the way they were able to do that, some people tell me all the time, it's just too tight, I've got uh, got too many expenses, there's just no way I have any margin I can't give to the church. Do you realize that in the early 1950s, the average house size in America was less than 900 square feet. And the average family had 5.1 people in it on average. Today, the average house is 2,100 square feet, and the average household is 2.3 people per household. You see a little connection here of why we think we can't give? It's because we keep wanting more and more and more for ourselves. That's why. The average family in America in the 1950s might take one trip a year if they got to do that. With their little bit of vacation time that they had. Now the average family only attends church... Uh, an average of barely over two times a month because they're traveling all the time on all these trips we're taking. But we can't afford to give to the church. The average person in the 1950s might take their family to see a ball game once or twice a year where they had to pay to take the family to the game if they, they even had that opportunity. Now we have people buying PSLs and season tickets and going to every game. Spending hundreds of dollars a week to go watch sporting events. But we can't afford to give to the church. We're going to concerts more often. We're going to entertainment events more often than we've ever done before. But we can't afford to give to the church. You see the problem. We've created expectations for ourselves that keep us from being able to give to the church. We're honestly not as devoted to the fellowship as those early Christians were. They were willing to sacrifice, give up stuff to give for the common good of the church. And that church turned the world upside down and our church in America is on the decline. I wonder why. I wonder what's changed there. Is it because we've become so selfish and inward focused. That we're not really devoted to the fellowship anymore. The way the early church was. Is it because we think we have to have the stuff of this world. More than we need to be devoted to the fellowship of the church. Now I'm not saying this to point out any individual here. This is. Systematic for our whole nation. This is systematic for the church all across America. This is not just Lakeshore. It's not just a few people at Lakeshore. It's across the board. We all battle this. We all struggle with this, every one of us. Because in our American way of life, success is defined by the stuff. And we all want to appear to our friends and family members as successful. So why should we sell something to give to the church? Why should we give up something to give to the fellowship? We wouldn't look as successful if we did that. But the early church was making the impact that God wanted it to make. In Acts 2.45, they sold property and possessions. In Acts 4, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And they took care of needs from those sacrificial gifts that were being made. And yet, we get mad at preachers and churches today when they ask us to make a sacrifice to give to the fellowship of the church. Who are they to tell us we ought to be giving our money? Not spending it for this, not spending it for that, but giving it to the church. Now, don't get me wrong. There are pastors that abuse this. There are churches that abuse this. There's no doubt about that. You will not see me having somebody take me in a limo over to the airport to get on my private jet after the service. <laughs> you will see me being picked up by my wife and my O2 Ford Explorer with 235,000 miles on it. I'm going to drive it till it quits. Pray that it keeps going a little longer, okay? And I don't say that to brag. That's not impressive to to people outside the body of Christ at all, is it? That the pastor of that church drives that old Explorer. Right now, that's the only car we have. We did that on purpose. See, I don't think we have to have a new car. I don't even think we have to have two cars. We can do it without that. If we really decide that what's going to be the higher priority is the fellowship of the body of Christ, the church. See, most of us could tighten our belts if we don't want to. We act like we can't, that there's no, way to, there's no room, there's no margin, there's no way for us to generate any extra money to give. But what about that stuff you already have that you're paying for? Is all of that absolutely necessary? And is it necessary to get newer and better all the time? Or could we maybe hold off on some of those purchases for a little while to enable us to be able to be devoted to the fellowship of the church? Is that possible? So we need to learn to tighten our belt. The third thing we need to learn to do is relinquish our ownership. Relinquish your ownership. De- deciding what you own is important. You've probably heard this whole story before, and I love it. Uh, it, it was in a movie that I really love. Uh, a guy comes into a hotel lobby, and he's going to be checking in, and there's a dog in the lobby that's barking and trying to snap at him. And he, he looks at the clerk behind the counter, and he says, Does your dog bite? And the guy said, No, my dog doesn't bite. So he reached down to pet the dog, and the dog bit him right on the hand. He said, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. You said, yeah, that's not my dog. you got to decide what's yours, right? And and in Scripture, here's the thing. It says in Acts 2.44 about the early church. All the believers were together and had everything in what? Common. In, verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's the way the early church did it. It wasn't their house, their car, their groceries. Now remember, this is not socialism. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not a forced thing. This is not somebody else controlling this and making it happen. This is people choosing to love the fellowship. To be devoted to the fellowship. To share everything they had with the fellowship of the church. That's not socialism. That's Christian love. That's what the real word fellowship means. And the early church was devoted to the fellowship. We've got to stop claiming ownership. Do you remember the story Jesus told, right, of, of the talents, we call it? Where a, a master leaves and he leaves five talents with one person and two with another and one with another. Who did those talents belong to in the story? The master. The talents were sums of money and it actually belonged to the master. Now, what were those servants supposed to do with it? Manage it for the good of the master. That was their job. So whether you're sitting here as a five-talent person or a two-talent person or a one-talent person, sums of money, whatever amount it is, is it yours as a Christ follower? No. It's his. And you're supposed to be managing it. I'm supposed to be managing it for him. For his greatest glory, for his greatest honor, for the greatest effectiveness for the work of his kingdom. That's how I'm supposed to be using that stuff. Managing that stuff. Not just for me to get more and more and more. Now understand something here. The scripture does not make having a lot of stuff bad or evil in any way whatsoever. What it does say is you are responsible for what you do with it as a part of the fellowship. And if you claim to love the church, the fellowship of the church, then that love should be expressed through your willingness to be generous and share what you have. Having a lot is a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Having a little is not an evil thing, not a bad thing. Neither one in between is good or evil in and of itself. It's all about being devoted to the fellowship with whatever it is you do have. Remember, not what you hope to have, not what you think you will have one day, but what you have right now. What are you doing out of love for the fellowship with what you have right now? You say, and if you win the lottery, I hope you'll follow through on all that stuff you said you were going to do. All that generous stuff you said you were going to do when you win the lottery. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But in the meantime, the church needs to be doing the work that God called the church to do. And how can we do that? Through those who are devoted to the fellowship enough to share with what we have now with the church that's how it's going to get done so many people think the church ought to be doing this ought to be doing that we ought to be helping more well well, sure i'd love to do all that stuff our leaders here would love to be doing even more than what we're doing now we're doing a lot now but it can't happen unless the members of the fellowship are devoted to the fellowship and sharing and giving regularly consistently to help Us be able to do the good stuff that God has called the church to do. It won't happen without that. The early church turned the world upside down in one lifetime. And they did it because they had members devoted to the fellowship of the church. They made that the priority of their lives. And they sacrificed to be able to support what God called the church to do in the world. And very few American Christians are wanting to sacrifice to make that happen today. We don't want to give up anything. Oh, we'll give anything we have left over. And, and by the way, we don't have much left over because we got all these payments to make on all this stuff. Right? That's our excuse. And we're buying bigger houses, newer cars. We're buying nicer stuff. The whole time we're saying we don't have anything to give to the church. We can't really do much there to help out. Well, there's one more thing. It's really the summary of all of these things, and that is, prove your love. Like, oh, you, you can't say it that way, Pastor. Andy. people love the church even when they don't give. Well, well let, me, let me explain it. The Scripture says that love sacrifices. Love gives. That's the love of Scripture. In fact, when the Bible talks about agape love, the greatest example of that is Jesus. Do you think it cost Him something to do for us what He did for us? Do you think it required sacrifice for Him to do for us what He did for us? How do you know Jesus really loves you? He proved it, didn't He? By what He gave for you. By the sacrifice He made for you. How does God know you love Him? It'll be by the same evidence. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give? To show that love. To demonstrate that love that you say you have for Him. There was an elderly couple who had just learned how to send text messages on their phones. The wife was a romantic type and the husband was more of a no-nonsense kind of guy. One afternoon, the wife went out to meet a friend for coffee, and she decided to send her husband a little romantic text. So she wrote this, If you're sleeping, send me your dreams. If you're laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. The husband texted back to her, I'm using the bathroom, please advise. You see, you want to send the right thing, right? (laughs) To show your love. You want to share the appropriate thing. To show your love, to demonstrate your love. In Acts 4.32, remember, all the believers were in one heart and mind. It was because of where their heart was that they were willing to be devoted to the fellowship. That was their heart. That's who they were when they came to follow Jesus. He changed them. He changed everything about them. He changed their priorities. What they were willing to sacrifice for and give to changed when they decided to follow Jesus. Has it changed for you? Has it really changed for you? Because that might be evidence of where your heart is. Remember Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about about giving, and in and, and his exchange with them, he wants to give them an example, and I've used this example before, it's a great one. He says, beginning with verse 1 of, of 2 Corinthians 8, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now Macedonia was a province in that area, it had different towns in that province that had local congregations in those towns, so he's talking about the churches in those towns in the province of Macedonia. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And listen to these words in verse 8. I'm not commanding you. Now, this is not socialism where it's forced on you. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the what? Sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Later on in verse 24, he added this, Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. He's saying... Your choice from your heart to be devoted to the fellowship in your giving is the proof of your love. We could talk about loving God, loving His church, loving each other, loving the lost. But what is one clear outward evidence that we mean what we say? Our giving. Our giving. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to demonstrate it. And God has called us to demonstrate it. I want to close by thinking back this Christmas season to, uh, in Matthew's account, Matthew 2, he's talking about how, how the wise men came to see Jesus, right? They'd seen the star. Here's what it says, beginning of verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we've come to, what's that word? Worship him. So they make it clear right up front, the reason we've come is to worship this child that's been born. What do they mean by that? How Are they going to worship this child? We we find out in verse 11. We jump up to where they came to where Jesus was. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with what? Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, when you choose to be devoted to the fellowship and give sacrificially, you know what you're doing? Worshiping. Your giving is an act of worship. When you give out of love, out of honoring, wanting to honor God, you're willing to sacrifice and do it. You see, these these men traveled, we don't know how many miles, but hundreds of miles over rough terrain to get to see this baby so that they could give him these gifts. It was a sacrifice for them to be there. But that's what worship is. That's what worship is all about. It's not just attending a service and singing the songs. It's giving yourself. It's giving your heart. It's giving your love. And the proof of your love is in what you're willing to give to the one that you say you love. That's the proof of your love. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor poor. That through your, his poverty, you might become rich. I've got a manger on the stage today. Some of you are probably wondering, what in the world is that doing up here? It's right up on the edge. I chose to put a manger up here for a couple of reasons. The first one is the symbolism of it. Because on that first Christmas morning, when Jesus was born, where did they place him? In a manger. Now, what I want you to think about is that manger symbolizes the greatest gift ever given in the history of the world. The gift of God's Son. Now when God gave us that baby and he was placed in that manger, he knew that baby was going to grow up and be beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross and die there. This is the greatest gift ever given. So here's what I want to do. This is not socialism. I can't make anybody do this. This is not communism where we'll just take it from you by force this is the church this is the fellowship and we've already had our offering today but here's what i know there's still opportunity for us to sacrifice beyond that there's still opportunity for us to demonstrate love beyond that it could be that you were planning to go out to eat today after church you know what you could do eat something at the house And give what you would have spent on the meal to the Lord, to His church. It could be that you're going Christmas shopping today or sometime during the upcoming week. Some of you put me to shame. I ask, are you ready for Christmas yet? And they said, yeah, we've already bought everything. Uh, I'll, I'll go out Christmas Eve and take care of mine. You say, you're procrastinating. No, I'm not. That's my plan. That's not procrastination when you planned it that way. Okay, that's where I got into my schedule. Right. But you know what we might do is cut back a little bit on that material stuff to free up some money to bring it to the Lord. To give it to the fellowship that we say we love so much. At the very first week of the sermon, I sent out an email and said, what do you love about Lakeshore? And you told me so many great things, but do you really love it enough? that you're willing to sacrifice to be devoted to the fellowship that you say you love so much. So we're going to leave this manger up here. Nobody's going to watch. We're not going to pass plates anymore for this. From now till Christmas, that manger is going to be up here. And anything you choose that you want to give, you can just drop it in there. Just bring it up any after the service, during the week, any and just put it there. And that place that we remember the greatest gift God's ever given you. I want to challenge you to think about how you could demonstrate your love. How you can demonstrate your devotion to the fellowship of the church. Let's pray together. Father. Father, we know. We know that there are so many different ways to give in our culture. We can give cash or check. We can give online. There's a lot of different ways to do it. We could give by bringing something and putting it in this manger. And it's not about the amount or even the method. It's about our hearts. It's really about our love. This manger reminds us of your love, Father. From the manger to the cross, they're both symbols of the way you love us the sacrifice you're willing to make, what you were willing to give for every one of us. And Father, it's not a response of guilt that we feel guilty because you did that. It should be a response of gratitude, thankfulness. A response of understanding how blessed we are and how privileged we are that you would give like that for us. So Father, help us not to love with just words, Help us to love with deeds and actions and truth. Help us to be willing to be truly devoted to the fellowship of your church. And if there's anyone here that's not already a part of that fellowship, we want them to to make that choice today. Father, we pray that they would, not because they've had their arms twisted, but because they've had their heart pricked and they felt the working of your Spirit deep inside them to change them from within so that now every priority of their lives comes under your lordship. And then, Father, when we have our hearts where they need to be, it's it's only going to be natural for us to be devoted to the fellowship of your church. So, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to have our hearts changed into the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.